Right at the Fork is supported by Picnic, the app where you can share and discuss your best dishes. Picnic. Eat better together. That's P-I-Q-N-I-Q. Download it today on iTunes. Time once again for another edition of uh, Right at the Fork. I'm Court Johnson, the new guy, along with uh, the guy you've been hearing for years, Chris Angeles. And I got to say, Chris, uh, you've introduced me to a lot of people here in the, the Portland food scene. But the guy that we talked to today, that we'll, we'll talk about in just a, a few seconds, man, uh, this guy's cool. Yeah, no, I. the first time I talked to Aaron Barnett uh, at St. Jack, uh, he didn't know me. Yeah. He had no idea who I was. And I... That's often the case with many chefs that I get to know. I left there thinking, man, that guy is one of the nicest, most uh, forthright people that I've met and really like him a lot. But as you'll hear in the actual interview, he wasn't always that way. Yeah, well. Which I found very interesting. Well, besides, I wasn't working in his kitchen either. So (laughs) I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I would have thought that. But he's, uh, unlike myself right now, never at a loss for words. Right. And um, and very articulate, and you know, um, not to overly self-promote. I really don't mean to do that, but it's it's what I know. Uh, when I started these trips with chefs, and I started thinking about chefs that I would like to be with and and hang out with, Aaron top of the list. Uh, so glad we're doing that. Yeah, that you're trip. you're you're doing a trip to uh, France uh, later this year, which I'm trying to figure out a way so I can go there because my family's actually planning on a trip to France like a month before. Maybe I can just get lost and just end up there still lost and show up and then we'll go find on this, we'll go find on this food you. tour with you guys. We'll find you. Yeah, but uh, a, a source of knowledge, great great backstory of how he ended up, you know, starting up a, a great restaurant here in town. Now two restaurants here right. in town. And uh, as far as I can tell, you just you wouldn't want to cross the guy. Not that he's you know. Looking, I never had that impression. <laughs> I never had that impression until he, you know, a couple of comments he made here. Yeah. But he's a strong presence in the kitchen. That's all. Right. And he's a strong presence sitting here as well. Right. He's a very strong presence. So, um, uh, really nice guy, and I glad you enjoyed the uh, the interview. I certainly did, and I hope everybody out there listens and shares. So, see Aaron Barnett. Christopher. So, I wanted to ask you, have you ever... I'm frustrated with the way my name works on forms Yeah, yeah. everything. Can't stand it. I can't... uh, My driver's license says one thing. My passport says another. Mm -hmm. You ever been frustrated by being C. Aaron? I I think it sounds great. I love the first initial middle name. Well, honestly, it was one of those things where my mom named me Christopher when I was a kid, uh, when I was first born, and then... uh, Right when I was born, she was like, "You know what? There's too many Chris's in the world." <laughs> after she didn't, yeah, meet, after she, she after she named me. me, and so she's like, "She's like, there's too many Chris's," and she's like, "I know everybody's gonna call you Chris. No one's gonna call you Christopher except for me." Mm-hmm. And I like the name Christopher, but the name Chris, there's too many of them. So she's like, "So from the day I was born, she just called me Aaron uh, by my middle name." And then when I got to kindergarten, you know, like the first day or whatever, they're like, "Okay, spell your name." I spelled Aaron, and they were like, "Oh, sweetheart, no." And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, come on." They're so, like, "Your name's Christopher. Spell Christopher." I'm like, "I don't know how." 
It was a bummer. Was oh, like, you didn't that was know? how I entered school. That was how that was like my first experience at school was just being shut down. That's what I want to do to the passport people because they're always trying to get that first name and I have gone with R. Oh yeah? And so I get mail. Oh, all my dear, all my stuff R. comes all my stuff comes to Christopher. Like so I know if it's like if it's important it comes to Christopher, if it's yeah. not important it comes to Aaron. That's a good way to filter your mail before you even have to open it up. Yeah, I know if I might be in trouble I or not. Suppose, right. but I don't like it. And I get dear R and which bothers me. Right. And, then, <laughs> and the other part is, you know, it was Robert. Right. So it's and yeah, I would prefer not to carry on the legacy of somebody that I didn't really you know. Let me let me just I'll put you life. guys all to shame. My name is Courtney. And so, <laughs> I mean, I had a, I had a girl's so name growing up. So I'm just saying it could be worse. Your name could have been well, Courtney. I thought Chris was a girl's name too growing up. I've known a few time. girl Chris's, yeah. Am I going to make it worse by saying that I dated a girl named Courtney? No, not at all. <laughs> you are just proving my point. Yeah. I also worked for a dude named Courtney yeah, so. when I was a cabana boy. <laughs> yeah, I was a cabana boy and uh, I spent my entire day drinking behind the, the pool bar with uh, the pretty girls and then uh, misting a uh, 35-year-old. Fake boob women. Really? Yeah, that was my day. So, do you have a specific memory from those Cabana Boy days that you can share with us? A lot of here? vague memories. I don't know if I have anything specific. Where, where was this? Uh, I was in Palm Springs. Oh, wow. Yeah, I dropped out of college and uh, it was like my buddy was like, hey, I got this gig lined up. Yeah. Like, you want me to get you in? And I'm like, yeah. So, you know, you get tipped to uh, hang out all day long by a pool and, uh, and schmooze uh, rich women. And then, uh, you know, during like spring break and stuff like that, it's just nothing but like scads of girls your own age coming out there. So it's kind of like St. Jack. It's a great deal. I don't know. I don't know if it's anything like St. Jack. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. We all had Courtney. What did you, Courtney? Yeah. I can't believe I see, just now, see, now, 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 now I've done it. Game on. Court, yeah. what did you, did you drop out of college or drop out at some point to go have an interesting job? I did. I, I dropped out to, to, do radio to do become a marketing director for a radio oh, station. That, so that I was. Didn't work I, had, out. I had one more year. Why? Well, but I had one more year of college, and if I had applied myself, I could have done both. But I like, oh no, I got to focus on this, in you know, promising career in radio. Yes, it has worked out. But you know, I as an example to my two daughters, I, I keep telling them, I'm like, don't follow in my footsteps. <laughs> Stick and stay in school, kids. Yeah, well, I went to university for seven years, never got a degree. Yeah, where where university? Uh, I went to UCSB. Uh, UCLA and UBC. Wow, yeah. the, the up and down California. So, where did you grow up, and then All the, over. that landed you in California? Because when we sat down and talked, there was, you know, you had a lot of places: Montreal, and never Scotland. Montreal, never Montreal. No, but so you oh, have a lot oh. of places in your background. Yeah, no. So uh, my folks are both from Scotland. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm first generation Canadian. Uh, I was born in. Uh, Wait a minute. What is that? Your what does that even mean? were both from Scotland. Yeah, your first generation. They immigrated Canada. to Canada. Yeah, and then you, you know, were born and in where, Canada. Where right. in Canada? I was born in Alberta. So everybody wants me to be from Montreal. Mm -hmm. This is the French thing, you know. Right. They're always like, "Oh, you must have trained heavily there or whatever." I'm like, "No, I never." No, I used to visit, you know, and mm -hmm. eat and drink and hang out. It's a fun town. Um, but yeah, no, I was born in Lethbridge, Alberta, like a tiny little town just outside, like on close to the Montana border, mm -hmm. uh, and then moved to Edmonton. And then after Edmonton moved to, during the, the Oilers, like, legacy years, like, the huge, that, so that was, like, a rad time to grow up yeah. in, in a crappy town. Well, you were a big Wayne Gretzky. You had to be. Oh, Wayne man. Gretzky. No, I was actually a big uh, Messier fan. Oh, really? Gretzky was, Gretzky was the man, you know, obviously, but, like, Messier on any other team would have been the Gretzky. 
Well, he brought the cup to New York. He brought the cup to New York. He won like two more after Gretzky got traded. Right. You know, beating Gretzky, who is now on the Kings. He beat them like twice. Wow. So, yeah, that guy's a badass. Plus, he's like big, burly. He's bald, so I like him even better, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So he was, yeah, he was my big one growing up. And then uh, moved to Winnipeg. Uh, and then uh, after Winnipeg, uh, my dad picked up a gig in Los Angeles, which was supposed to last for like three months. So he came down to L.A. to work for about three months. And then after that, he uh, it turned into uh, 30 years. What did he do? Uh, he's in uh, construction economics. So he's one of the only guys on the West Coast who does what he does. He's called a quantity surveyor. Really common job in the U.K. Like it's a boring humdrum like desk gig in the U.K. Uh, but when he got to Canada, he opened his own company with three other dudes. And then he, when he, then he broke his partnership up with that because, you know, partnerships sometimes just don't work. And uh, he got this job in LA, LA doing the um, uh, LAX Terminal 2. Um, and then he picked up LAX. Uh, then he did the Staples Center. He did the Convention Center. He did, like, massive projects. But it's, uh, it's in cost consulting construction stuff. He tried. He tried to get me into it. Cause it's it's, say, it's good gonna, money. It's yeah. good money. He was like really into it, and he had like he was like, "No, we're gonna send you to the University of Edinburgh." So I was like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna move to you know, Europe. I'm gonna do all this stuff." And then um, I would hang out with him in the office, and I was like, "Man, this sucks. <laughs> this is the most boring." <laughs> I'd rather be a cabana boy. Yeah, I'm like, "You want me to count toilets?" <laughs> I was like, "That's my job is look at a big piece of paper and count toilets." All I, day. I just ran into you in the men's room here. Was that? Yeah, no, I'm he was in there counting. Yeah, yeah, I was, was counting all the toilets. <laughs> he was in a, you're just yeah. trying to get. A, There's three. There's two urinals. That was why I was paying attention. <laughs> Still got it. Um, but yeah, so it was just one of those jobs where you know, and I was like, you know, at the time I was like an artsy, you know, twenty early twenty something, and. You know, kind of like, Dad, you don't, you don't understand me. You know, like, <laughs> I want to do what I want to do. And I actually wanted to go to culinary school when I was 19. Uh, but my folks were like, no, nah, no, nah, you got to get a real job. So, And were you in L.A. at that point or are you still in, in uh, Alberta? E, no, no. We moved down to L.A. when I was in fifth or sixth grade. Oh, okay. That... And then uh, uh, I went to high school uh, down there. And then um, I went to, where did I go after that? Then I went to university in Santa Barbara and then bought all of that. That's down. tough. Yeah. College in Santa Barbara. Uh, well, I didn't go to school much. No, well, that's that's my point. <laughs> I was really good at doing drugs. <laughs> I was really good at girls too. That was that was pretty much my my whole shtick in college was just I really didn't do anything. Yeah, um, and you got through. You graduated. No, you never. You never graduated. No, I I, I went uh, to. Th- I'm the only college graduate in this room. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got a I got an associates when I did the college. Actually, you know what? I don't even know if I got that. I because uh, I did the culinary school thing, and uh, everybody go check check his application. Well, no, and then I moved to go to get my 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 uh, externship, and they were supposed to come back after your externship to walk and do the whole uh, graduation ceremony, and I never I never came back because I got a job right out of my externship at this like mobile five-star restaurant. So I was like, I'm not screwing this up so I can go back and walk with a bunch of yahoos. Right. So I, uh, I wound up, uh, yeah, wound up uh, hanging out. I never got a a diploma. I never got my little graduation jacket. Never got anything. I actually ran into a guy. I don't think they have graduation jacket. Oh, they do. They do. It's just a gown. You're no, it's a, it's a chef coat with your name on it. Oh, that. Yeah. 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 So I had to get my own chef coats with names on them later on down the road. (laughs) And are, do you still fit in them? That's, uh, that's not nice. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing I, I would think about is how I, much I could fit in from that day. It's that funny. Was, I think I think I was I was about a buck ninety when I graduated culinary school. Uh, I got up to about two twenty, and then um, I opened St. Jack, and I lost thirty pounds when I, when we opened St. Jack. Why? Uh, because we didn't really have a contractor, um, and I really wanted, and we didn't have any money. So it was it was a combination of. 
stress and stress. What was I, your budget? I wasn't eating. Uh, basically, I lived on a steady. I was like chain smoking, uh, coffee. Uh, what else? Bourbon and uh, power bars because my wife or Cliff bars. My wife uh, was pissed because I wasn't eating, so she just bought like big boxes of power bars, and that's all I ate for about three months. Oh, that's so steady diet, and that's not on the menu. No, <laughs> it's a terrible way to go. By the time we opened, my stress levels were so high. The day we like. I had been throwing up blood every day for about two, out of stress. Uh, about two weeks. Yeah. You know, you don't strike me as that kind of guy. You've always no. struck me as very laid back and easy to talk to and funny. No, I'm I'm so, uh, incredibly high stressed. Really? Incredibly, so, yeah. It's a. Uh, I think at some point in my life, I realized I didn't want to be kind of a, a freak, you know, earlier get mad all the time or whatever. I also just have a slow way of talking, so I think um, a lot of times um, people just think I'm kind of mellow. Uh, I mean, but you don't get to be a chef. Uh, being mellow, you know, we're all we're all weird in our own way, and we all have our, you know. I mean, you talk to Vitaly; he seems like a totally mellow guy too. Uh, but you know, I'm sure he gets pissy in the kitchen too, just like everybody. That would be a very interesting show. Is all you guys behind the scenes to see the other side of you that none of us get to see? That's going. No, I mean, like you, house. you spent how much time in Spain? You know, yeah, hanging out with Jose, and like, oh, nicest guy, Jose. nicest guy. He didn't. He didn't. I guarantee you, he did not get to where he is today, being a super sweetheart puppy dog. Like no one, There's you no can't. Way. You can't. I used do that to. Any- I used to throw shit at people. I used to kick people, yell at people, scream at people. I cornered servers in the middle of a dining room on a Friday night and would push them into the. You know, I'm a bigger guy, and I would push these guys into the server station and fire them on the spot. I had grown men crying because I was yelling so hard. Like it was just. Uh, I had kids, you know, who were externs who were scared shitless of me. Um, I was a maniac, and then I realized that I wasn't really enjoying my job anymore. <laughs> uh, well, no, because it's like you think no. you you think you have to do all this stuff as a young cook, because a lot of times you see that your chefs are like that. That was that was going to be my question. If that's a learned behavior in terms of it isn't, it isn't. You know, like yeah. if if you go and you work at a place like a, I was really fortunate, and I worked really hard to work at some of the best restaurants in the country at the time when I was uh, coming up. Uh, yep. Just because I wanted my resume to look good, right? So, and I learned a lot from them. But at the same time, at that level, you're not allowed to screw up. You know, like at, at, at most restaurants, a steak gets sent back from being medium rare, and it's supposed to be medium. Uh, you, you you might get a, a dirty look from the chef, or you might, be, you know, they might look at it and be like, "Wow, it's close," you know, or it's passable, or whatever. Right. Why'd you do that? Uh, at a place like that, if you do that, you like I worked meat at Gary Danko for almost two years straight. Um, I did it once about a year and a quarter, a year and three quarters in, you know, so obviously I've been doing it a while. He trusted me to do it. I had uh, one night where I had a steak sent back and uh, I had to have a sous chef stand over me for two days or three days uh, to make sure and to double check every single thing I did. Wow. Because you're not allowed to have anything sent back in a kitchen like that. If somebody's blowing 700 bucks for dinner. Yeah. Nope. You're not allowed to screw it up. Hmm. Well, yeah, but it's not, we all know that it's not necessarily... It wasn't done properly. People are just weird out there on the uh, no, diners. No, it's, it's not even that. The chefs, they hold themselves to, the, to these levels and standards that you just don't expect. You know, I mean, like the first day I walked in on the job at Gary Danko, because they hired me. Uh, I did a stage one night because I was coming down from Vancouver, and I flew into San Francisco. I staged at 10 different restaurants, and um, I got into Gary Danko, uh, and they hired me. Uh after I did my stage and I, I, I asked them what I'd be doing because I had, you know, I gave them 30 days notice at my other job. So I was like, well, when I start, what am I going to be doing? They're like, we don't really know. We don't have a job for you. We're just hiring you. And I was like, all right, well, uh, so I got there and I drank too much coffee. I was living in the East Bay and I was working in the city. So I'm like 
drank way too much coffee on my way into work because I was like, you know, kind of like jacked up to go and work at like one of the best restaurants in the country uh, on my first day. And I run in there before, and there was no one else there. And I run in there, and of course I got there, and it was hard to find parking. Everything's a bitch in San Francisco. I got there, and I had to pee so bad I was going to die. Like I, I, I literally thought I was going to piss my pants the minute I walked in the door. So I run in, literally run in the door, run to the bathroom, slam the door open because we shared a bathroom with the servers or with the customers there. We didn't have like a separate bathroom for staff. And um, slam the door open, and the door hits Gary right on the ass. He's on his all. He's on all fours in the bathroom, scrubbing the grout with a with a, uh, a toothbrush. That's not a joke. That was not. I mean, that's what he was doing. And I'm like, Jesus. I mean, like that's what this guy's all about. So, you know, to the point where they had different sound systems in the bathrooms than they do in the dining room. So that when you walk into the bathroom, it'll have like a spa kind of soundtrack and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was like, it's a trip, you know. Uh, so he, did he hand you a toothbrush and say, okay, no. this was the job? No, no. He, was, he actually laughed about it and he was like, sorry, this is kind of my, one of my things that I like to do. But <laughs> yeah, they, um, yeah, they don't let you screw up there. If you screw up, then you're not going to last long. You just got fired. So is that, are you like that in your kitchen now? I, or I was. Talking, so you were. So what changed things? <clears throat> I think I got to a point where I just, I, like I said, I, I had had enough instances where I had had to, not even had to, like a chef would be having a freak out about something and I would have to like go behind the line and literally drag them to the ground bodily and drag them out of the restaurant and throw them out. Um, I had thrown quarts of food at, you know, servers who are wearing $300 suits, you know, uh, I was an insecure 28-year-old first-time executive chef. Okay, did that and have I was anything selling... to do with drinking? Or... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I, I, I've always made it a point, because my, my first cooking job, the chef drank a lot, and uh, I didn't want to do that. Because nobody, I mean, everybody respected his talents and what he could do. Uh, he just wasn't very good at doing it anymore. So, because he drank too much. And... Um, yeah, I, I just decided I wasn't going to be that way. So I don't, I, I've never allowed booze in my kitchen. Um, it's not okay. It's not something. I mean, the first time I ever fired somebody was over booze. Um, I found out he had had uh, three drinks right before he came in on a Friday night. And uh, apparently I made a sound, according to my old sous chef, Graham, who's now the chef at Stomptish. Apparently I'd made a sound that he had never even heard a human being make before when I was yelling. And it was just so bad uh, that the staff in the kitchen didn't speak for about two days. It was, it was just deadly silent in there every time I came in. Well, um, so can you replicate that sound? No, it's a it's a very angry. Uh, I don't know how I've 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 never heard myself do it, but I know apparently my teeth are clenched completely, and I let out something that sounds like a lion roaring, <laughs> and and uh, and there's a lot of swearing, like a lot, like a lot, a lot, and then I tend to get right in people's faces and scream at them, so they spit all over them while I'm yelling. So maybe <laughs> it's it's not good. So I, I got to a point where I was like, I can't fucking do this anymore. I got to be a normal guy. You know, you can get the job done. The food can still come out well. Uh, and now I rely more on a sort of like Jewish grandmother sense of guilt. So now when something goes wrong, I don't even have to really say anything. It tends to just be like a look. And then they look down and then I don't say anything. And I'm like, do I have, you know, do I have to say something? That's the way, it's the way, my, the way my dad ruled my house. Yeah. He, there, he didn't have to do hardly anything. It was just the look. Do you, do I have to say anything? Yeah. And then like, all oh, of a sudden they're like, right. no, I know what I, and then all they do is apologize yeah. for hours and hours and hours. And two that's days part, later, it's more effective. Apologize. It's on them. It's well, yeah, cool. Well, they don't want to let you down, you know? And so that's the thing is like, if you can hopefully lead a team in a productive way and, and, uh, have them, you know, regardless of how much I actually cook on the line anymore, it used to be like people would look at other cooks who were awesome at cooking 
as being like some kind of stone cold badass. They all know that I can do it. I don't do it as much anymore, obviously, but uh, they all still respect the fact that I'm a better cook than they are. And so they are hopeful <laughs> in theory anyway. I mean, I, should, I only have to do it once, you know, like I have to do it once, show them how to do it and I can take my time. I want them to do the same exact thing 50 times a night, three times as fast. Do you have anybody in, who is in your kitchen or has been in your kitchen recently who you consider a better inherent cook than you are? We're not live, are we? No. <laughs> no, no one's, uh, no one's listening either. I would say that um, in the time that I've worked uh, at Gary uh, at St. Jack, uh, my sous my original sous chef Graham was probably a better uh, and faster cook by a long shot. Um, I think at, at my, in my prime, I was probably uh, better than him, but uh, he was he was very good. Uh, right now, um, I've got two cooks: um, my my chef de cuisine and my sous chef. Uh, at St. Jack are both uh, easily as strong as I ever was, yeah. Names? Uh, Amanda. You've met Amanda, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Elise. Uh, so Amanda, you know, she can take an entire trout from, you know, with guts in, bones in, everything, debone the whole thing in about 40 seconds. It's amazing to watch. I've never, I mean, I can maybe get to a minute and a half if I really, really try. Uh, but they're, they're, they're just talented. They're talented. They work really hard. Um, they care a lot. You know, and that's that's the whole key is like you know getting people to care, because you can teach anybody to cook. Anybody can cook. Just it's it, but but caring about it. That's the hard part. And how do you do that? Because that that you know, that's the hiring process. Hiring, weeding out. You know, I don't do a lot of firing, but people realize pretty quickly if they're part of the team or not. Do you know what I mean? So I tend to always have like a core group of people who've worked for me for quite a while and don't want to go anywhere and they love it there. Um, and then I have kind of people who come and go who the place isn't working out for or the work's too hard or. And they're probably in and out of a lot of restaurants, I would imagine. Not always, you know, I mean, you get some people who stuck around at some place that fit them well for like three years and mm -hmm. they're just like, okay, I'm done, you know, uh, I'm gonna go work, oh, I got a job at St. Jack, I'm gonna go work there. And then sort of four months in, they're like, Poof. you know, it's because it's a busy restaurant. We have high standards and we don't have a huge staff. You know, our kitchen staff is small. And that changed when you moved from the old location to this location, though, you, how many were you, how many could you have on the line in the old, in, on Clinton? Uh, including me four. Okay. So I, I, I cooked over there more. Now I don't cook as much. Now I expedite and I kind of lead the charge more than anything else, which allows me more creative time. So I get to like come up with new dishes. And uh, that was one of the things that Kurt really wanted for me too, was he, he kind of saw that I was kind of stagnating at the old spot too, you know, just because I was, it was a small model, so your labor sucks, everything sucks, you know, and so it's like. Uh, and you weren't making money. No, you can't make money in a place that small, uh, especially with the landlord that we had, and he was killing us. So, yeah, I just, uh, when we got to the new location, I was able to have a, a slightly larger staff, which allowed for me to, I mean, I had a daytime kitchen manager. I'd never had that before. Um, and that allowed for me to uh, spend my days working on new dishes, coming up with new ideas. You see the food now is a lot lighter. Um, I mean, yeah, we still do a lot of our old, old school, like St. Jack food, but, um, you know, I, I really love seafood and all that kind of stuff. And so we've been working with a lot more uh, technique uh, that I wasn't using before just because I have the space to do it now and I've got the equipment to do it now I've got the people who allow me the time so I'm not the one butchering all the steaks every night you know or like tearing apart the you know or I'm not doing herbs for half an hour you know instead I'm able to like work on actual new plates that I'm really proud of and so how often are you uh, introducing new plates to the menu well that's the nice thing about St. Jack is, is that because we are we have that traditional aspect to us <clears throat> I'm really sorry. I'm, <clears throat> I'm coming off of a cold. Um, 
because we have that traditional aspect to us, a lot of our menu stays bistro focused, right? So you're always going to have a steak frites, you're always going to have the butter lettuce salad or a Leonese salad or whatever. So we've got a lot of our menu stays static. Um, but as we've gotten, uh, you know, the specials thing is kind of where we have a, a huge deal of creativity because that allows for me to work with my cooks or me just to work on weird dishes. You know, opening Lemoul, uh, almost everything on the menu was a special at some point at St. Jack so we could test it out before we opened Lemoul, which is why Lemoul opened pretty strong because the food was really good. Or, yeah, well, I thought I, it was good. I've never had mussels like that before that were so consistently creamy. and Yeah. I've had them before, but never consistently. Yeah. So, um, it's a trick. Uh, yeah. Well, what's what's the trick? Uh, patience and, and also doing it properly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's there's every single technique that you've ever learned. Like there's a halfway, ha- there's a half-ass way of doing it. And if you're working in any place that does any kind of volume, people are going to cut corners. We just don't allow that. Uh, that's, I mean, the fun thing about uh, Lemoul is too, is that, you know, people who used to work for me at St. Jack when we first opened. So uh, Cameron, who runs the kitchen at Lemoul, uh, before this, he was for two and a half years. He was the chef de cuisine at Ava, uh, at Ava Jeans, and then before that, he was working for me at St. Jack. And uh, the lead line cook over there was uh, the lead line cook at St. Jack years ago. Um, so I mean, I've, I, and some of the front of the house people as well, Tommy Cluse, my partner, uh, all were St. Jack employees at one point in time or another. So they know what I want, and they and they don't they don't cut corners. Well, that makes it a little. More efficient. Well, I, I mean, that, that entire restaurant or like pub essentially is what it is, is completely full of people who are totally uh, overqualified to be doing what we're doing now. They're all, I mean. Do you they, want them to hear that? Or they know they it. Know you it. probably tell them. They know it. <laughs> I mean, the thing, the thing about a place like Lemoul is like for a cook, if you're coming out of a really hard environment, right, where you've been working your ass off, working 16 hours a day or whatever it is you're doing as like a sous chef or whatever, going to work at a place like Lemoul is fun. Because you're, you know you're putting out really high-quality food. It's a little simpler, though. And there's not as many moving parts. St. Jack is like an octopus. There's stuff everywhere. And there's so much stuff to keep track of, like you know, 12, 13, 14 different cheeses, uh, you know, uh, rotating seafood selections, changing the menus, doing uh, whatever, uh, specials, all that kind of stuff. Bar menu stuff, regular menu stuff, you know, uh, tasting menu stuff for groups that come in, all this kind of jazz. At Lemoul, you're literally coming in and people are like, yeah, we're going to share a bunch of this and have some mussels and some fries. So really all we have to think about there in terms of like timing and coordination is like, well, we want the fries to come with the mussels because that's kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Besides that, it's like, it it's kind of fun. You know, so, it, you know, and the music's fun. The environment's fun. It's a cool place to look at. You know, it's, it's a, a nice you feel You feel cool sitting in there. The neighborhood right. loves it. You know, it's, it's happy park. we're back. It's <laughs> easier than, than, than 23rd. However, right. the funny thing is you talk to people from uh, Southeast who come over to Northwest and they complain about the parking in Northwest. People who come from Northwest to go eat at Lemoul complain about the parking in Southeast. That's because so, they just don't want to make the drive. So yeah, probably. I find it, fa- I found it fascinating that you and I had started planning um, a trip to Lyon uh, we're, we're doing Portland Food Adventures International, and I'm only doing it with people that I re- that I think going in that would be awesome, not just for me to sp- spend time with, but for people who want to go on a really special journey, uh, a chef that they'd really enjoy spending time with and learn stuff and be a special experience. But after we sat down for, I don't know, an hour and a half and originally started talking about this trip, and then we were talking about it, and we went on. You, you at some point said, Chris, I think I need to point out something to you. Um, I've never been to Lyon. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I actually thought that was fascinating because here you opened up St. Jack, which has done so well, 
and is just, as I know it, represents that region so well from a culinary standpoint. And, and then talk a little bit about the research that you must have done to have a conversation with me that completely fooled me because you were talking about the markets, restaurants, menus, chefs. You know everything about Lyon. And so, so this trip that we're doing is going to be an opportunity to be with you on your first yeah. real exposure to Lyon, even though your food, you're cooking it better than anybody else anywhere. Yeah, I, I, yeah, people have said that, um, that, 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 that you, know, you go to Lyon, you can come to St. Jack, and the food's either the same or better. And I think that's really nice, you know. Um, but yeah, it's just it, it was a lot of research. I, when it was, I think a lot of people think that you, when you open a restaurant, you know, there's two different kinds. There's chef-driven restaurants, right? And then there's like concept-driven restaurants. Uh, and there's other stuff in the middle there. But uh, for the most part, my idea was just to use the training that I've had and the classical technique and modern technique and my own interpretations of things. Um, the game plan was for me just to open a concept. I wanted to open a Lyonnais-style restaurant. So why did I want to do that? Well, I grew up in Canada. We went to Montreal a lot, and the food there is actually very similar because it's, it's rustic. It's French backbone, rustic. It's tweaked up quite a bit because of what's local and what's available. Um, but on the whole, it's, it's, uh, it's like a riff on something. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do. Um, at the time when we opened St. Jack five, almost six years ago now, uh, it was, you know, it was a different town. You know, the food scene wasn't quite as big. There wasn't as much out there. You know, division still wasn't built up. Uh, and I wanted to just do like this very sort of old school, homey French restaurant with flavor profiles that you just don't see at French restaurants anymore. Um, and doing a uh, classic technique in a more accessible manner. So French food for the people, right? That was like the idea, proletariat. Um, <laughs> and then it evolved. You know, we, 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 when we opened, we were really cheap and people were just like, oh my God, I can't believe you're getting this food for this price. And, uh, and then we started getting our numbers back and seeing what things looked like. And yeah, we shouldn't have been charging those prices because <laughs> these techniques, those techniques aren't cheap. Um, and there's a reason people don't do these techniques anymore is that they're, they take a lot of time. So there's a lot of labor involved, a lot of food involved. You know, you're, you know, if you think about something as simple as demi-glace, which is like one of the backbones of the way that I cook, cause I, I'm a sauce driven French cook. Uh, and so everything I do is based on sauces. Um, and so the thing is like with that, you're taking massive volumes of something, $500 worth of stuff, right? And it's huge. And then you cook it and do all this stuff to it until you shrink it down to the point where it's very, very small. Uh, and when you do that, you now have a quart of something that costs you $150. Well, that's crazy, right? So, uh, and, you, and you probably weren't charging. No, you probably weren't even making that back. Oh no, that wasn't good. It was a bad <laughs> idea. I was a very stupid young man. And uh, and so what wound up happening was just like over the years, we started getting a lot of attention and press that we didn't expect to get like right off the bat, national attention to and awards and all kinds of crap. And it was great, you know. But um, the customers who were coming in uh, started requesting more expensive bottles of wine. Uh, you know, they wanted like, why don't you have this? Why don't you have that? And we're like, well, that's like a $400 bottle of wine. Nobody's going to drink that. And they're like, well, I would buy it if you had it. We want foie gras. We want this. We want that. And I was like, well, let's throw some foie on. We'll throw, you know, a couple more expensive bottles on. See what happens. Right. And suddenly we started seeing all that stuff getting gobbled up. We're like, wow, that's, we didn't expect that. So the restaurant started taking this very slow evolution from being very, very casual to being a lot fancier than we ever intended it for it, for it to be. And then when we made the jump over to uh, 23rd, 
uh, yeah, we were just able to offer a heck of a lot more. You know, like uh, like I said, the cheese selection became massive. The the, the, the shellfish selection we never had over at St. Jack at all. The menu grew. Uh, suddenly, we're serving you know far more uh, fancy cuts of things uh, than I ever thought we were going to be doing. So it sounds like you weren't planning on it being a chef's driven restaurant. No. However, by virtue of being part of Chef's Table, that is. That's the universe that you're sort of, in. you know, sort of. But it's it's one of those things where, like, I, you know, my ego is not that huge. Uh, I mean, I have an ego because I'm a chef and we all have ego. But, it, you know, like, I don't uh, I'm not the first person you're going to see out there trying to, like, tout myself. Um, I'm more about touting the restaurant and the majority of the stuff that I do PR wise or whatever you want to call it is done uh, purely uh, for the restaurant's benefit, not for mine. Um but yeah, I mean, like, I wanted a rustic, funny little place, and it turned into a big, fancy, fussy place. Leonay's food is all based in, like, celebratory, inexpensive food. They eat a lot of awful meat. Uh, back in the day, Lyon was kind of the OFFAL, just so. Yes. Not, well, I mean, some people might think it's awful, too, but <laughs> it's, uh, you know, like, the, the Lyon was kind of the epicenter of, that's where all the abattoirs or butcheries were, where they killed all the animals. That's where the textile workers were. It was a very blue-collar town. And everything that they did because of its shipping routes kind of came through Lyon. So, like, spices coming from other countries and all this kind of stuff were going through Lyon and then getting dispersed into, like, richer areas, like in Paris or wherever else. And so the people who worked there were, like, these blue-collar folks who were killing and slaughtering animals all day long or whatever. And then they would go to these places called Bouchon. Uh, I think there's only, like, 30 of them in Lyon. And they're only in Lyon specifically. And they're all, you know, uh, they've been Bouchon-specific for years and years and years. Um, you go to, like, the uh, Thomas Keller's Bouchon. It is absolutely not a bouchon it's like the antithesis of what a bouchon is uh bouchons are the kind of place where like when you sit down there's already wine on the table uh if you and i sat down uh they would put an entire terrine or a pate on the table and you eat it and then when you're done with it they hand it to the next table over you know like it's it's uh, uh they also use what was left over so pig's feet pig's heads pig's guts you know uh, there's an there's a salad that's uh, I've never I've never been I've never done just because I don't have the nuts to do it but it's a uh, it's a donkey snout salad stereotypical classic dish of Lyon uh, I'm not I don't know where to get a donkey snout first off uh, but yeah it's 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 funny you know when I started calling up my reps when we started working on Saint Jack because none of them were bringing any of this product in so we were the first people to bring in a lot of these animals uh, and nobody teaches you how to do these things either anymore so. Uh, I had to learn myself. Um, and how did you learn? How do you learn with yourself? I just stick around with it till till I get it right, you know. And th and that was that was a big one, you know. Like a lot of our dishes were, you know, how do you butcher a pig's trotter? Well, the first time I did it, you know, it's got a big, huge knuckle in here uh, where the wrist is. Well, how do you? I mean, it's like a, a Tron-like maze of stuff in there, and you're using a knife and you're trying to get in there and do all this, and none of it works, you know. And, and so finally, I realized that you have to actually break the wrist. You know, and so every time you're doing these things, you're deboning and doing all the stuff that you know how to do on a weird piece of something or other that you don't know how it works, but you're trying it anyway. So you monkey around with it until you get to this point where you're like, I have no idea. And then I'm like, well, you know, until you start getting frustrated because you've been working on the same thing for half an hour. And now you're mad at it because you're usually pretty fast at butchery. And so now you're PO'd. So then you just, uh, I was like, fine, screw it. And just broke its wrist. And everybody in the room was like, oh, God, because it's, you know, it sounds like you're breaking a wrist. <laughs> and, and it feels horrible to do, you know, like, and, uh, but then you're like, oh, that worked. And then there you go. So you and keep, it wasn't you keep anywhere along. you could Google it to know ahead of time? No, or? I mean, I tried. I went on YouTube. Like, YouTube was a huge source resource for me. I know a guy who built an incredible cabin just from YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. YouTube videos. No, I know. I can fix a dishwasher now because of YouTube. But <laughs> YouTube's amazingly, amazingly good. Uh, but, yeah, no, I learned a lot from that. I mean, I, you know, there's some old... 
episodes of TV shows from the 80s that are on there where they're doing really old school French dishes that no one's done in years and years and years. And so I, I like to watch a lot of those and learn about those and then take my time uh, reworking them in a way that people might want now. So like, now, now the challenge for you is now you need to start up your own YouTube channel and start demonstrating all this new knowledge. Maybe. That you've been able to piece together. But the hard part about it is I don't know how much people want to know how to do that. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? You might, like, might get like two views and like, yeah. Oh, and then, there's and two people in the world that wanted to know that this. want to actually know how to do this, yeah. you know? And it's like, I get it. You know, it's cool. Um, but I think one of the nice things about that for us too is, is like, you know, it's hard to find cooks right now um, throughout the city and we don't have as much of a hard time, knock on wood, uh, finding cooks right now. And I think that a great deal of that has to do with the fact that we teach people how to do things that they wouldn't normally get to learn how to do. So yep. if I threw it up on YouTube, we lose a lot of our value. Well, this is kind of a good good segue, Chris, because we uh, we got to have a little bit of a uh, product placement right here in the show. And I don't know if we mentioned this to you uh, about Picnic. Yes. Because Picnic is actually a great resource for people to demonstrate stuff they're doing in their own houses and then, you know, sh show it on social media and then let people ask questions about how they did it. Picnic but, is so a uh, new social app. Yeah. Oh. P-I-Q-N-I-Q. -I -I yeah. Okay. And they're based in Portland. So, oh, yeah. And they're, they're supporting our podcast, well, which in turn good. supports you because- yep. You know, all the all local artisans. So, um, yeah, that's a good use of it. Um, Aaron could put that up there on how to necessarily cook instead of your usual Instagram yeah. post. Yeah, Instagram, you know, it, it's I, I like Instagram, but it's somewhat limited. And the great thing about Picnic, which is P-I-Q-N-I-Q, -I -I is that you can actually kind of do a photo collage of something you've put together. And typically it's for people in their own kitchens if they've made like a, a nice, you know, summer salad. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, they can kind of show how they put it together and people can hop online. It's kind of a forum. They can ask questions and yeah, yeah, yeah. find out how to do it. So if you want to know how to break a pig's knuckle. You might find it there. Although <laughs> Then Aaron might be a guy. I can show you how. I can show you how. <laughs> yeah, I've got an incredibly stupid skill set. <laughs> well, but it works. One, one, it works per, one person's incredibly stupid skill set is another man's career. So. That's true. It's true. Yeah. So P-I-Q-N-I-Q -I -I -Q is the app. You need to pick it up. It's available now in iTunes. Nice. Right. And I guess you can go on the web for uh, yeah. Android users. If, yeah. If, you don't, if, you, if you're on an Android phone, that's uh, how you do it. As well. So, um, but that also, uh, Chef's Table has a uh, has an app now, too. Chew. 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 Mm -hmm. has, ha, that's new. And... Uh, uh, are there any like little available goodies at uh, at Saint Jack and Lemuel? Yes, yes, and I now I'm spacing exactly what they are. Well, that but then that's okay because <laughs> now people have to go download the. Well, app it's, it's one of those things. Are. You download the app, you come in, uh, and you get a little goodie from us. Uh, and then as time goes on, we're, we're going to be adding more goodies to that list uh, to kind of thank. Uh, our guests who come in a lot. Yeah, and, you know, in, in our conversation with Kurt, one of them was the eventuality of, of being able to reserve a table, possibly. Yeah. And if not that, maybe if you're a frequent customer, being able to jump to the front of the line. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an incredibly useful tool for, for us. We get to see who's coming in. We get to find out what they like, what they don't like. Uh, it's 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 kind of a built-in, it's, it's a neat program. Um, you know, and then on our end, it's really just sort of, well, you're coming in, gosh, you're coming in an awful lot. You know, we want to help. We want, we want to do something nice for you. And we do that at restaurants anyway. You know, like if, if you come in a couple times a month, we notice, you know, uh, any good restaurant will notice that. Uh, we try to take the time to get to know your name, what you like, what you do, what you're there for. Um, and we try to make sure that you're taken care of when you're there. This is uh, a little bit more direct and a little bit more specific, and it allows for us to see things a little bit more clearly than just hoping the hostess remembers. And it's the way, yeah, and it's the yeah. way things go. So the, if the hostess leaves, 
all your information isn't gone. Well, we've right? got we've got a little computer system set up already for for a lot of that because prior to Chew, yeah, you had to do something. So right. so we had it built into our our reservation system where when your name pops up, a bunch of information about you pops up. Nothing creepy. We're not big brothering anybody, but you know, like yeah, we, you're you know, just but we to service them. That's but we know that you like this bottle of wine. Last time you were in, we know that you like this cocktail, which might not be on the menu anymore, but we still have the uh, ingredients available to do that. Mm-hmm. So when you come and sit down, we're like, hey, you know what? Here, we can do this for you. You might get a glass of bubbles when you sit down. Something along those lines. Cool. So, so how did you originally hook 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 up hook up with Kurt Hoffman and become? You were one of the first chefs table restaurants. Yeah, yeah. Right? I, I think. Uh, he had just started getting pressed, like they were opening Ping, and they I think they had just opened Ping, and they were working on Gruner uh, when I met him. Uh, and honestly, uh, so 2008, um, I was working here in town, and the economy tanked. Where were you? At 23 Hoyt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the economy tanked, and when that happened, we started seeing our reservations go down <laughs> quickly. Um, and they wanted to kind of reconceptualize the restaurant a bit, make it a little bit more casual, so that people would continue coming, uh, and it wouldn't be quite as expensive. Uh, I think I made a joke about, you know, they were talking about the kinds of things they'd like to see on the menu. And I was like, ha ha ha, you don't need me for that. And then a week later they agreed to that. So I wound up uh, getting laid off. Uh, and then I, you know, I started looking for work and realized that I didn't really want to work for anybody anymore. Uh, so I just started putting my head down, working on this concept with my buddy, Joel, Joel runs uh, Cooper's hall. Uh, so he and I started working on the concept, uh, together really nailing it down, coming up with menus, working on this and that. And he wanted to have a good focus on the wine list. And um, so we started working on everything and had it pretty well laid out. But, you know, I, I didn't know how to find money. I didn't know a lot of rich people, I, I, you know, for investment. Uh, I didn't know how it all worked, you know. Uh, and then so I would start getting some money together from people I was talking to. And then the space would fall through or vice versa. Uh, I could never quite get everything to kind of pair up. So... Uh, one day I was at the dog park, um, with my dogs and this guy I know was there with his dogs and he's a, he's in the art community kind of thing, like uh, think tank type stuff. And he was, and he, he's like, Hey, you know, I was talking to this guy and they were talking about the Gruner website. Uh, he was like, I was talking to this guy, Kurt, he, he's a guy who opens restaurants or something. And I was just talking to him the other day. Uh, if you want, I know you're trying to open a restaurant and give you his, his email. So I shot Kurt an email based on a meeting at the dog park with a buddy of mine, and uh, I started going into his little tiny office uh, all the time and harassing him until, you know, and he liked the concept too because he lived in Lyon for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just sort of became this thing where we both had a very linear vision for what we wanted to do, and uh, and then we forced it to happen. And it went, it went pretty well. You li- Court, you lived in Lyon too. Yeah, I lived in Lyon for a good six, seven months. So, <laughs> in fact, excuse me. I'm gonna cough and I'm gonna edit this part out. Perfect. <laughs> when uh, when I knew Chris was heading to France, I think just kind of off. I didn't know the details of it. I'm like, you need to go to Lyon because truth is that Lyon is the culinary epicenter of France. Like yeah. a lot of people think Paris, Paris, but Lyon's like really where like a lot of the French techniques came from. And uh, of course, my my time there, I was so poor. It was all about the donor kebabs. Sure. So I ate a lot of donor kebabs. They're good though. Oh, they're so good. They're huge in Canada too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I eat a lot of I eat a lot of those growing up myself. Yeah, if you don't if you don't know what a donor kebab, think, think of like a euro. It's probably the closest thing that yeah. I can say that it's close to. But uh, there was this shop there in Lyon, just off of, from the uh, train station. That I would go there every day if I could. Oh yeah, I and, still would if I could. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing like it down here. The, actually, the ULCC or not the ULCC, uh, the government here won't allow it. 
uh, for that type the of way, meat. The way the meat's carved off of the spit. Yep, mm. you can't have it. Yeah, so it was, that's that's why every time you go and try to get a thing here, it's like uh, it's at, like grilled chicken or right. Or, it's or, just not uh, quite the lamb same. that's been. What about up in What about up in Canada? Oh, you're fine with that. Okay, it's Canada for God's Can- sake. Canadians, they've <laughs> got to figure it out. They've got to figure it out. It's just like people have been eating this food for centuries, and there's still French and Canadian people to tell you about it. So obviously, it's not going to kill you. No, no, you're fine. So what do you, can you, other than that, are there things that you're looking forward to in Lyon more than anything else? That, yeah. Uh, for I mean, experiences, hands well, on all, and mouth all, on. All of, all of it. You know, I mean, uh, I'll be honest with you. I, 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 I make food that I don't know if it tastes the way it's supposed to. You know, and, and I think that can be a good thing and a bad thing because it's my interpretation. Well, the market of what, would tell you that, right? Or maybe it wouldn't. Maybe they just like oh, it sometimes, to its own right. I get a lot of good French people who come in and they tell me how great everything is. But there's also, there's also times, you know, for a while there I had a French employee and I would be, so I would make this dish and I'd be like, so this is my, uh, my lamb Navarin. And Navarin is like a classic dish, right? And uh, he, he looked at it and he was like, no. I was like, what do you mean no? He was like, he's like, he kept kind of poking at it and he took a bite of it and he's like, it's very good. Not a never end. Oh, I don't know what it is. It's very, it's very nice. <laughs> and you know, I've discovered that there are certain dishes that I make, and I'm like, I call them something, and I'm dead wrong. You know, and it's a good dish. Did you rename it, or have you kept, have you kept it? As nah, as nobody as knows, eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, I did rename it. Um, but yeah, apparently I had just created some new dish out of my head that I thought was a classic right. dish, um, and then, and then tacked a name on it. But. Uh, yeah, for me, I think going and actually eating a lot of this stuff and learning what what these things are actually supposed to taste like, I think it could be a good thing and a bad thing. I might I might, I might walk in and be like, "This is crap," you know, like <laughs> what I'm doing is way better, or vice versa, you know. And also, it'll be a good research trip, just like learning uh, new dishes that I hadn't really thought about uh, or I've heard about, but maybe were intimidated to work on. Um, and and you've chosen based on your research some nice restaurants. One of them, Paul Bucos. Oh yeah, you can't not go there, you know. I. I Paul Bocuse has been one of the. Uh, sorry, I mispronounced it. Yeah, well, it's fine. We'll work. Right. We'll work on it before we American. go. American. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of the last bastions of classic French high end cooking there is, like amazing, full brigade system. The chef is like a thousand years old. He's world famous. Uh, he has been world famous since before I was born. Um, you know, and uh, and the food that they do was instrumental in the changing of how French food is perceived and 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 made throughout the entire country and then throughout the entire world. Maybe maybe one of the most uh, influential French chefs uh, alive today, if not the. That's gonna that's gonna be a fun opportunity. Well, because you're gonna to experience it with you. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to eat the, the the absolute best possible variations. We're gonna be able to eat this, the the best possible variations of dishes that you've probably heard of or whatever, you know, for hundreds of years. And this is going to be the best interpretation you've ever had. And the other exciting part is then going to St. Jack maybe months after yeah. and seeing how this trip influenced you and what new things you might be doing because of the trip. Well, that's sort of it, you know. I mean, these these, these kinds of trips are something, you know, uh, we opened St. Jack. Or I was supposed to go before we opened St. Jack. I never went. Didn't happen, timing, whatever. Two years later, I was going to get ready to go. Had a baby instead. Uh, two years later, getting ready to go. Uh, we're moving the new, to the new location. Uh, you know, it was just one of those things where like the timing never worked out. And uh, yeah, and the opportunity to go and, and actually, you know, really see this stuff. And you talk to other chefs in town too. I mean, like Gabe. Gabe never went to France until 
I think last year. Right. So, you know, it's one of those things we don't often, t- if you're working your, your butt off, you don't oftentimes get a chance to go. Well, I'm, I'm amazed at how focused chefs are. And they're not thinking about, they are thinking about things like, but you're so busy, you just need to get done what you need to get done. And travel is a tough thing, especially when you've got a family. Yeah. Right? It's not something that you're, you're planning trips. And I see some chefs in Portland that travel more than others. Oh, sure. It's really interesting. To well, see. you know, and you talk to a lot of them, and a lot of them it's done through different avenues. It's not necessarily just like, it's not always on their own dime. It's always, you know, sometimes they, and also a lot of times for restaurants too, you can you can, you can can put it on the card, the company card, and treat it as a business expense for, for R&D. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's that's huge, you know, if you can, if you can do that. Uh, not all restaurants are lucky enough to be able to do that, though. So, you know, in, in, in this situation, I think I, I, I could have done it on my own or whatever, but I think in, in this situation, this is actually kind of fun. You know, because I get to show things to people that I think I'm going to be more excited about than anybody else. And I, I think the opportunity to do things as a as a group and get to know you as a chef in a different way is awesome. And that's why I started this uh, PFA sure. International thing. Uh, we did the first trip with Jose, which was interesting because he he knew he was intimately involved oh, yeah, with yeah, a lot yeah. of the chefs. Yeah, this is this is different, and I like the fact that every trip is different and has a signature of a particular chef on it. It's not a it's not a model that we have to just follow. We'll make every one different. Right, so right, right. Thank you. I appreciate you doing that. Just quickly, um, soon it'll be, if not already, uh, up on PortlandFoodAdventures.com uh, on the PFA International nice. site. So listen, let's come back to this country. Uh, what are some places in Portland that you've been digging lately? If you get a chance to get out, we know... You know, a lot of hardworking chefs in this town and restaurateurs don't get the opportunity to get out. No, we're, we're generally when their kids involved. Yeah, I mean, with the kid, and then also, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm working when other restaurants are open, and you know, I don't work on Sundays and Mondays typically, uh, and a lot of restaurants are closed on those nights. So, you know, if I get a you know an opportunity to get, like Coquine, for example, right? Katie is probably one of the most talented chefs in the city. I would easily put her in that category. And uh, I have yet to be able to get in there. And it's, they're closed on days when I'm not, you know, when I'm able. And, uh, you know, it's probably the most anticipated opening for me uh, to go. I've done events with her in the past and everything I've ever eaten of hers is something I look at and I'm like, wow, I would never, the attention to detail in her food's amazing. Uh, And so it's always delicious too. So I think for me, that's going to be one of the ones that if I can squeak my way in there one of these days, I'm going to be super stoked on. You Um, will be. I've been there a few times. It's. It's good, I'm yeah, sure. It's, uh, I have it's, no doubt. And you know, sitting in this chair asking chefs the same question, Katie comes up all the time. Consistently well, she, gets mentioned by other yeah, chefs yeah. as their favorite, whether it's here or I'm asking chefs where they like to go. Right. Coquine is right up there. And yeah, that's 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 high on my list. Uh, I have, you know, because <laughs> I've had birthdays and anniversaries and all kinds of stuff pop up <laughs> recently, so so I've been able to get out a little bit more. I, I, I went to uh, Taylor Railworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I had a great experience. I, I really, really, really enjoyed my food there. Um, you know, and, 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 and Eric's a great guy. You know, he's talented. I didn't, it was unexpected. I didn't expect as much Asian influence, uh, but I was happy that it was there. That's for sure. He, he's, and he's the, the bar there is great, and, oh, the, and yeah. the, uh, the space is really cool, too. Yeah, I had a, I had a great time there. Uh, Pete's food neighborhood now, by the way. That's I know, the, that there. entire industrial area. Yeah. So good. Uh, t- uh, Pete's a jerk. Mm-hmm. I've been going there a lot. It's right near my house. I live I live on on Fremont there, so uh, that has I'm actually going there tonight. It's 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 become kind of heavy on the rotation. Uh, I, I might meet you there tonight. I, the only time I tried to get in, yeah, 
the line was long, and then they told us it would be an hour till the pie. So right, right, right. We went to Red Sauce. Oh yeah, how was that? I loved it. See, that's another that's, a, that's it. another one high on my list. The only problem is they're closed Sunday, Monday. Oh. So I, I never get a chance to get in there. But but uh, yeah, pizza jerk. I'll be heading to quite a bit. My son likes it. Uh, my wife likes it. I like it. Uh, have I, you had a white clam pizza there yet? No. Okay. I have a thing with clam pizzas. You haven't been to New Haven then. No, I know. Well, I mean, I've had clam pizzas. The last time I had a clam pizza, I got super pissed because there the was shells. There's no. Well, I, yeah, the shells kind of kind of rub my. Yeah, they're dumb. Rub my rhubarb there. I don't. I don't really care for it. The uh, 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 but the I got one once where they the, they were just full of sand. Yeah. Right, and so right. every time I you know I'd take the thing out and do the whole bit, and then like water would come pouring out of the clam, and then this I got this soggy ass pizza <laughs> with dirt in it. And I was like, well, that's not fun. So no. I like the concept, you know, like because I love I love clams. Uh, I really want it to be that way, but it just you know. Um, Let's but, fly to France through New Haven because there's is a that giant airport there, <laughs> and uh, and grab a cup of modern or uh, uh-huh. Pepe's or. I've heard of Pepe's, yeah. Yeah, Pepe's is actually going downhill a little bit in, in the in the face of the fact that they're expanding everywhere. You know, uh, they were the neighborhood joint for yep. years, and now all of a sudden they. Started another one here and another one there and stadiums and it's not. Well, that's the hard part is keeping quality up when you do that yes. kind of thing. So the word I get from back east is that's it's a little disappointing. Yeah. Again, but anyway. Well, I'm feel, I digress. I, I, I'm a big fan of that. I go to again because I live in that neighborhood. I, I you know I still go to expatriate pretty pretty frequently. I love I, the vibe there. Oh man, you know, and the food's great. You know, the drinks are great. It's a cool vibe. You know, uh, that's a place I go a lot. Uh, I go to Pollo Norte quite a bit too, mm-hmm. uh, just because. You know, growing up in certain parts of California, there was a lot of chicken and tortillas going on, and uh, it's something I hadn't seen up here yet, and I'm I'm pretty happy it's there. If anybody's a PI, we can start it. We can start honing in on exactly where Aaron lived. There you go. <laughs> trace all this together. <laughs> Sundays and Mondays. <laughs> I also go to Fu Oregon once a week. Yeah, I've heard, who else said that recently on this uh, on this show? So I have for dinner last night, every Sunday night. Every Sunday mm. night. Every so- Sunday night. You ever want to see me? Show up at four or again well, at I, five o'clock. Probably rather you see me at St. Jack, I would imagine. Right, right at five o'clock. Oh, oh, five. I think I just unplugged myself. Look, you good. So um, there we go. Yeah. Uh, oh, or is it my earphones? Might be your earphones. Oh, okay. What is it about? And I've asked a few chefs this before. What is it about Asian food that you gravitate to once a week? I, I haven't seen it yet. I I enjoy it, but it's not something that I would. Feel like I have to have all the time, but all, I don't, I, all chefs, it seems to me, that's their deal. I uh, I spend my entire life making French food, and so you know, honestly, like for me, going out and having a meal that I'm going to really enjoy, I, I like going to places where I don't know the food that well, uh, or I don't know how to make it necessarily. So uh, things that really interest me are Southeast Asian food, Korean food. Uh, I like the spiciness because um, it's kind of well, it's very different from what I do. So that's a huge portion of it. Plus, it's satisfying and it tastes good. You know, um, I could go for sushi every day of the week. I can go for um, uh, pho. At least. Uh, I don't always get pho. I've started branching out a little bit. My wife, when she was pregnant, um, had to have pho three times a week. So I got a little burnt on it. Mm-hmm. So I started expanding my horizons and talking to the owner and trying out all kinds of different dishes. So I've been able to try a vast, you know, a, a big chunk of the menu and started getting more and more brave with certain things I won't didn't know what it was, but you know, I've, I've found a lot of yummy, yummy things. Last night I had a duck, a duck soup with bamboo shoots. Oh my God. Hmm. Oh my God. So good. At Fort Oregon. Yeah. It's more of a Chinese influence soup, but oh my God, it was good. All right. Well, I, I gotta get on board. I, you know, I've, 
been to lots of places and I enjoy it, but I'm not obsessed. Yeah. Right? And I don't like, I like spice to a certain point. So when it goes over my level, it becomes my threshold. Yep. I don't, I just am not enjoying it at all. And well, the, va- the vast it. majority of the stuff that you're going to get at Faux Oregon is stuff that you're going to, if you want it hot, you're going to doctor it up that way. Right. It doesn't come out that well, way. Well, see, I like that. I so like that, that's, you know, it. I mean, everything you get there is going to be mild and then you can do whatever you want to, you know, they have a million different chili sauces and whatever else to get you going. Cool. Well, we have um, court. You got a couple of things going on over there. No, I do. I, I, we like to wrap up our conversations. At least we've started to do this, Aaron, where I give you some rapid fire questions oh, to God. cover some of the stuff that we have yet to. So these are simple questions. You can answer them with yes or no's if they if that applies. But otherwise, I'll check. Uh, I'll, I'll pick three or four of these here. Uh, your first concert. Uh. You two in Public Enemy. Oh, very nice. Well, that was what uh, ninety? No, eighty. When would that have been? When they were tour? Was it? Were they? That U2? was that was uh, Zoo. Was it Zoo TV? Is it Zoo TV? Yeah. No, no, no. It was the one with the one and all that stuff. Zoo Station. No, no the, the right before that. Zoo TV. It was Zoo TV. Yeah, it was yeah. Zoo TV. Yeah. That was your first. That was your first concert. Octung Baby. Octung Baby. Yeah. That was, was Zoo, it. it was Zoo TV was the tour. I honestly went yeah. specifically to go see Public Enemy. Yeah. No. That was that. You two's always been putting like kind of out of genre bands in front of them. It was uh, the Sugar Cubes opening up. So then, that was Bjork when she was like twenty. Yeah. Uh huh. And I had a huge crush on her. And then right into Public Enemy, oh, which I was. And then you. Totally and then into. you too. And then I, it was forty-five-year-old guys smoking pot the rest of the night. Right. Speaking like, of, I was the first time I was able to absolutely appreciate you two and Octung Octung Baby was uh, in Amsterdam. Oh yeah. Yeah, I just had, <laughs> I had, you just wrapped I up a, my entire sentence in one concise yeah, little bit. I had an incredible experience. Yeah, I don't yeah, doubt it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if if you had continued down this path as an executive chef, where you're throwing things at people and quite possibly causing them humanly harm, yeah, and take this a step further, this is in an imaginary world. You find yourself on death row because you killed one of them. What would your last meal? What would your death row meal be? My last meal? Yeah. Uh, Give me anything in the world, but this is your death row meal because because you just went a little bit too far in that in that kitchen. Uh, I would have uh, uh, abalone sashimi. I would have a bowl of number one pho from Pho Oregon. Okay, and I would have uh, a white truffle risotto from Lumiere around two thousand six. That's a Portland oh, that's, answer. Yeah, no, pick. And it sounds you delicious. One. All right, no. and final question. <laughs> the last meal. I get yeah. the- <laughs> and, and, that'll, and that'll bring us right around here. When was the last time you had fast food? Uh, like big I would brand say, name. I would say tra- yep. yeah, when American fast food. Yeah, no, I, I would say that uh, Burgerville doesn't count. Right. Um, it's probably been about five years. Five years. Do you remember what it was? It? Do you remember what you had? I think I had a Burger King. Or no, it was a Jack in the Box. So Jack in the Box on my way home from work one night because I was just starving. And sometimes you just got to stop at Jack in the Box. You, yep. you got to do what you got to do. Thanks so much, man. This was awesome. No, thank I you. I love this. Glad. This is without even thinking about it. And, Court, you will say this. You've listened to every single podcast. Yeah. We've been here for everyone. This is one of my favorite episodes we've ever had. Yeah. I, hands down, and I'm not just saying that. I, no, no. I, I know how charming I can be. <laughs> <laughs> No, thank you so much. No, thank you. This is awesome. Appreciate it. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com.